0: Comrades, oh. conspirators, and people everywhere, I guess, that understand English. Welcome to the first official episode of The Left Page.
1: Yeah, finally. I'm Frank. And I'm Bruno.
0: And we are here to talk about Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, published in 1931, uh, along with the other, briefly, uh, in a few comparisons, with the other major 20th century dystopias of 1984. Directly afterwards, published in 1949, and Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury, published in 1953. So that's the chronology of it all, and that's the general general topic of conversation. Though we'll focus on Brave New World because that's what we agreed upon. We managed to uh, we can't escape the comparisons between Brave New World and 1984. Yeah, and I took the time since we ended up having some. ...to read Fahrenheit 451... ...a few things here and there about that... ...so Bruno, where do you want to start?
1: I think we should start... ...comparing Brave New World... ...and 1984... ...mostly talking about... ...the idea that... Aldous Huxley had... Uh, ...both Orwell and Huxley... ...tried to make a, a prediction... ...about the future... ...but for from a... a ...literature perspective... I think what Huxley did is more like a metaphor of what the the human species can like think about and become mm-hmm. while Orwell thought about the things that could happen like in a reality like the things that could come about if a type style of government uh, could uh, get that amount of power that is granted to the to the I don't know the the it's the Big Brother but the name of the the party Ah uh, I see yeah
0: yeah I think that's an incredibly interesting way to think about it because well the idea of the dystopia it's at least the way I've been seeing it and reading about it both in these three works and in more contemporary works to quote a few. Red Rising by Pierce Brown. Absolutely recommend. I think at least I want to do something on it. I think it has some interesting things it teaches. And, which is a sci- on a sci-fi scenario. And the mist- at least the first Mistborn trilogy. Which is on a more high fantasy setting. Although not that much. Yeah. But it also deals with the dystopia in a sense. and yeah. I Foundation as well. from Foundation from, from Asimov. Asimov of course. Yes. But the idea of the dystopia is this possible in a sense at least according to the world's rules or the universe's rules in a sense yeah what what might become and at least in these three works since they are positing a version for mankind in the 20th century and of a very possible and close reality of our world what seems to me is that they're trying to push for a vision of what like these are logical paths at least that's my interpretation these are logical paths that are in a sense, natural conclusions of what we're seeing right now. Yeah. And in that regard, I I would disagree that with all three of them, that yeah. they're logical conclusions, but we'll get to that. Yeah. But in that sense, Huxley, I think, gains a lot more from being this a metaphorical work. And it, it just occurred to me, will, and I'll do a quick parenthesis to talk about it, if you don't mind, Bruno, no. to just give a brief <laughs> explanation of the three major Words and stories. I think it's a good rule to assume, well, given capitalism and the idea that we're a podcast, and not everyone might may have the time or the resources to list to listen or read all these works. Yeah, to give a brief, we should not assume that our listeners have read them. Read them. That's the point. Yeah. Uh, so just give a brief overview of all three to basically draw people in in a sense so brave new world we have this utopia at least that's how it's referred outside of the actual work as the utopia with capital u and it's this world of like there's peace it's a global reality you Mm. have these uh, world leaders world rulers in a sense and they're divided i think there are 10 of them they're divided among the world and it's basically a reality of peace of sim of Life among orgies and fueled by their major drug, which yeah. is soma. Yeah. And we follow the story of a few of the people that live in this society. One, a more traditional, which is Linda. Not no, not Linda. Lenina. Yeah. <laughs> Worth mentioning. I feel like this is very much for mocking uh, by <laughs> Huxley that uh, many of the character of the main characters have names of famous leftists yeah. so Lenine, lenin and bernard marx marx or bernard is a much more different figure he's a bit of an outcast and they both go to this reservation where large quotation marks in the sen- in the word <laughs> savages i'm yeah. making them with my hands but you can't see them yeah. <laughs> um, and basically they find someone who was born there who's basically a member of a son of both a woman from the utopia and a man of the savages. Yes. And this... It's,
1: uh, it's especially infuriating reading savages when you're from Brazil, where <laughs> people from Europe enslaved and slaughter all the savages, in quotations, that lived here. <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
0: So, and this... This man of both this divided heritage, in a sense, yeah. he, reta- he is brought to the utopia and then several contradictions and conflicts involve. though nothing too noteworthy if there's anything worth mentioning or get to it. He doesn't change the order of things. He creates brief commotions because the utopia is too strong, in a sense, for him to simply break free in one way or another. So that's Brave New World. 1984, a bit more of a classic. You yeah. basically have a dystopian, totalitarian worldview. The three models are war is peace, freedom, freedom is, is slavery,
1: slavery, and ignorance is strength.
0: Yeah, pretty much. And it's basically a complete dictatorship of power. There is the environment of war between basically three large super nations, in yeah. a sense. And our protagonist, Wilson, Winston. Winston Smith. Winston Smith. Yeah. Pretty bland name, <laughs> the English name. That that's too. It. He lives in this world, and it's a world of misery, war, conflict, of propaganda, and he tries to join some sort of a rebel group within it. But worth mentioning: spoilers for all the worlds <laughs> we talk about. <laughs> uh, this rebellious group. And it was a trap and he's (laughs) captured, tortured and conditioned in a very psychological sense to believing and becoming a member of believing and supporting the party and big brother, which is one of the large things that draws attention to this book, which is the surveillance system. And there's this male figure, which is supposed to be the symbol and a big brother to everyone, pretty much. Fahrenheit 451 is a bit different from all the others it's also the most recent one from the 50s basically it's not that different from a contemporary reality it's not that gross or that different of a dystopia than our current world but it has the notable feature that since there was this plastic technology that covers all houses firemen became useless so their purpose became to burn books and the the whole idea is that books have been outlawed and that it is forbidden to read them or have them and they're to be burnt on sight. And ultimately, the fireman that we follow, Guy Montag, or I think it's Montag because there's no U-E. Yeah, 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 <laughs> pr- probably, probably. Yeah. He ultimately tries in a way to form some sort of rebel group, which wasn't a trap, but he was caught. So he makes a dashing escape and escapes just before a great tragedy occurred. Because in this case, we're not talking about a large nation or the world. It's not well defined, but it's supposed to just one nation, probably the US. And there was the possibility of a war. And then there was the war declared. And within 10 or 15 minutes, the war was over. And <sighs> the city where Guy was previously was entirely destroyed be it by conventional or nuclear weapons, or something else entirely. And he joins this sort of nomadic group that remembers and holds these books in themselves, and the people become books, and it's it's an interesting idea, for sure, that books are people, and you burn books, you burn people, and people becoming books. (laughs) That is one of the best things about the book, honestly. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was a very large parenthesis, but I think it's worth it to... Well, to basically familiarize our listeners to what we're talking about yeah. and the, these works that, it's not that we read them so you don't have to. It's <laughs> in a small sense, perhaps, but it's so you can join the discussion without having to read them. Yeah. And basically bring this literature to a more left critique and position and bring others to criticize and to question them as well. Uh, Even if they don't have all the time or resources or even the technical knowledge that Bruno, for example, might have in analyzing them. So, yeah, there was a very long parenthesis, but I think (laughs) it's necessary uh, in a sense. Okay. Yeah, let's begin, I think, in Brave New World. Okay. So, yeah, we basically familiarized all all of them to make sure that our comparisons are more interesting in a sense. Although our focus will remain Brave New World, of course. Yeah. So I think a good place to start is the general setting of Vernia World which follows these employees of the Incubation Center. Yeah. And that's the first place we see in the novel. And it's interesting because it portrays this conditioning of human beings in yeah. all senses of the word, psychologically, physically, vaccinations, I think a good a good
1: phrase. I don't know if anyone has ever said that but the difference between a dystopia and a utopia is the general psychology and ideology that the people that live in it think about. Mm-hmm. So basically, Brave New World is about, for us, it's a dystopia, but for the people living in it, it's a utopia mm-hmm. with the capital U, exactly. as you said it. But
0: but it's interesting to think about, and I think we can segue nicely into the the next bit, Well, I just want to mention something about the incubation centers. Is that there's this this conditioning, which revolves, interestingly, although that isn't mentioned, I don't think, anywhere else, around the idea of profit. Because, uh, let me go to the example they give, and to how this works. Because it's a conditioning to obedience and slavery, on a very physical sense. You have the alphas, the gammas, the deltas, and the epsilons. The alphas are the superior... They are the high caste of society. They are the rulers, the actual creators, but they are workers in a sense. They are the specialized workers, perhaps. But you also have the Gammas, Deltas, and Epsilons do the other various and sometimes menial work. Epsilons especially, they are of limited brain development. I think it's not a specific condition, but it's basically what happens, that their brains are developed to a certain limit, different than others. As such, they are, in a way, they're not whole human beings, which is kind of cruel in a sense. So you have this standardization of human beings, these physical modifications, Mm -hmm. and they are also psychological around this idea of profit, as I mentioned, for example, in the hatred for flowers and fields, yeah. so because those things are not free. All the sports that are mentioned and talked about require these very specific equipment and technologies to play with, yeah. and so people have to buy them, you know, and use them in order to play the sport. Yeah. In the case of the flowers and the fields, they're free. People go and enjoy them. Yeah. However there is an interest or there was an interest in making people go there because people would use the transportation system. <laughs> so what was done to more optimize the process was to make the hatred for flowers and fields so people don't spend too much time there, but the compelling need to go there. So in that way, they use the transportation system and go there, but they don't spend too much time. <sighs> so that time is not wasted. Yeah. Which is, Although this is a very long point, it's interesting because it really shows that in Huxley's utopia, there exists and prevails this capitalist method. Yeah, Profit is still the high idea. Yeah, and that isn't acknowledged by the novel. <laughs> like, It's recognized in a few spots that money and profit matters, but like, so it's not that much has changed.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, I think basically we already see this in the world especially after the 70s and all the pop culture, we live basically in a world where everything that has the interest of the big corporations is about making people liking or needing certain products that are useless in the <laughs> yeah, end. Pretty much. And you can see this talking from our experience here in Brazil. Yesterday we had a declaration of the new minister of the environment, and he said he, he's known for. You can say he, it in Portuguese if you want. Uh, translate it. Ele mudou as linhas do. Ele pegou os mapas de reservas indígenas e mudou para conseguir ah. pegar áreas maiores para oh, mineração e and pra...
0: Worth mentioning, you might learn some Portuguese here and there. Yeah, so, <laughs> uh, but basically, what he did was redrew the maps. For the indigenous territories. Yeah, so
1: they, so they could get the wood, the iron... Yeah, basically uh... so
0: he could give greater territories and properties to the agribusiness, yeah. pretty much. And it's worth mentioning, the U.S. reservation system, as I've learned this, these past few years, is very strange and very peculiar. Ours is very different. From what I believe, although the territory re- belongs to the Union, ultimately... It's the indigenous people's territory. So they can do with it what they will and there isn't that much control. I think that's how it works here. I may be wrong, don't quote me. But <laughs> I think that's a general sense. Yeah. They're not confined there either in any case. Something I wanted to worth mentioning, going back to the comparison between nineteen eighty four and Brave New World, considering nineteen eighty four as an actual prediction and Brave New World in a more metaphorical sense, Yeah, it's interesting to see how, because you have this general comparison between the two, that 1984 wasn't that good, while showing certain tendencies did not predict the way society would go, because although there is violence is not that much, and there's not this level of persecution and whatnot, while Brave New World was much more fortuitous in that sense because the use of drugs and all that, and media and entertainment. Yeah. Although that comparison leads to interesting conclusions, one of the things that I thought about when reading this is that it fails in many aspects. Yeah. Brave New World has a lot of elements that would later compose 1984. You have the standardization of human beings, for example. In 1984, people wore, there was this style of clothing for men and for women, yeah. and of the various castes. Of course. But this was not, this is not absent in Brave New World. It's something that was there from the beginning. And also another thing, the disapproval of the past, the erasure of history with certain things, certain concepts that are no longer used, like parents and mom and dad, which is peculiar and something, it relates to a point that we'll make soon enough, but you have you also have in Brave New World these elements. You have an erasure of history. You have forbidden books. You have censorship. There's a very clear scene where one of the world leaders is reading very interesting I think, biology work on evolution and whatnot. And he goes like, Hmm, This is very interesting. Shame this can't go out there and censors it and basically (laughs) forbids it. Uh, Along with other things, you have a reduction of language. There are only 10,000 names for a population of 2 billion people. You have other languages that became dead languages like Polish, French, and German, which are the ones named. So this general comparison between the two could use a lot more nuance in that sense. And that makes it clear how... Brave New World. Brave New World has this reality, which is also a fruit and a result of capitalism, in a sense, yeah. in a very real and concrete way.
1: Yeah, because the the major difference between 1984 and Brave New World is basically that in Brave New World the basic human feelings and how can I say it, those impulsos, impulses, impulses, uh, impulses. I guess. Yeah the impulses are channeled in things like drugs and the big orgies while in 1984 it's the repression because basically there's no there's no parting there's no orgies and there's no drugs in 1984 but the people are always scared Mm -hmm. in that sense the thing that Like the beginning of the book, Winston Smith sees O'Brien for the first time Mm -hmm. and they look at each other and Winston can sense a bit of insurgency in the eyes of O'Brien. So basically, Brave New World and 1984 are really different types of societies in the end because one is channeling the human necessities in a way that the people of the world... The 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 scenario of Brave New World, like what they are submitted to. While in 1984, it's the opposite, but it's a government of fear. Basically, you don't let yourself feel the things that you want to feel, and if you feel it, you have no one to share this <laughs> this type of emotion.
0: Yeah, 1984 is very lonely, Yeah, in a sense. It, it also helps the fact that it follows only a single character, while Brave New World doesn't. Yeah. I, that's something I also want to go on a bit later, talking about the actual form all of them, but going off what you're saying and the general comparison to extend it to Fahrenheit 451 and that's something that I feel in a sense, at least about these dystopias, but about the dystopia in a general sense, and some comparisons between the three. In, and that's something different in Fahrenheit 451 that I gravely question, that the issue about the books being burned and all that it's very clearly stated that there was no decree, no law no government that did it. People stopped reading books and eventually turned against them and uh, saying that we didn't read them, then they didn't need them, and started burning them. Yeah. That's general sense in how it's described. And to me, I feel like, and same critique goes to all three of them, that the dystopia is not a logical conclusion. Yeah. It is to me, and it especially that's why, in and the sense, why a sense. It's not as well a
1: natural progression of the Exactly.
0: Things. <laughs> and that's why, in a sense, I think 1984 is more interesting to me, because it's very clear that it is an instilled project in 1984. Yeah. It's clear you have the party, and you have O'Brien, which ultimately, although looks like an ally, is the <laughs> antagonist in a sense yeah and he's very clearly stating that we want power for power's sake yeah that's our only purpose that's the party's purpose we don't give a shit about people yeah brief parentheses i don't have anything particular against cussing and swearing if you want no. to do it go for it <laughs> yeah, although i guess do i was it. containing myself <laughs> but in any way feel free to i i, I don't really all care all right all right <laughs> but when he's saying that that he wants power, the, the party's goal is power and they don't care about anyone else. And it's very clear that, uh, no, this is not a good world. This is clearly a dystopia. And I think in its owning to be a dystopia and the world being recognized as a dystopia gives it a lot more power. Yeah. And in the other ones, they look like utopias yeah. to yeah, some of the people. That's I mean. the
1: main reason why I call it like a metaphorical type of society and a metaphorical type of book as well. Because you can sense in 1984 that the human elements of insurgency and creativity, they are being totally repressed. But there's always the small insurgencies and the small groups that like Winston Smith and I forgot forgot the name of her. uh, Yeah, I don't remember either. But you have certain moments where the insurgency actually happens. And it's like almost an orgasmic state of breaking the the general law of living that is present in the book. While Fahrenheit 451 and Brave New World have a strange unity of the humankind that it it isn't all believable. Yeah, (laughs) uh, I totally
0: agree with that. Like, it's a project. The dystopia is a project. Yeah. Be it in capitalism or Big Brother... There is a hierarchical Uh, and dominant power involved in its origin and, especially, routine.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think that the problem in the two books is, like, there's no... Can I say? Manutenção. Maintenance. There's no maintenance. Like, the dystopia or utopia is already set and there isn't an insurgency at any moment. Mm -hmm. That's the same problem with the idea of people stop liking books. It's like saying that oh, one day people will bored of going to museums and now oh, we don't need paintings anymore. We will just burn all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's an idea that treats humankind as a dumb unity. And that yeah. kind of pisses me off a bit. <laughs> well, I totally agree.
0: Because it, all, in that sense, Brave New World, there seems to be the sort of power, at least in its inception, but in its overall routine, in its day-to-day, there is the absence of this controlling power. Yeah. It exists only at the margins, here and yeah. there. Yeah,
1: the, the conditioning in the beginning of the life of each and every person in this world, it's kind of a maintenance of the mm-hmm. humankind. But at the same moment, like the parallel with the world we live in, we live in a capitalist world where we have conditioning for you liking your terrible job and doing working 60 years of your life and liking it so i i think that if we live in, in the world we live that we have lots of insurgencies and attempts of going against capitalism and going against the general rule of governors and and powerful people it's highly Unlikely that in a world like in a universe that like in Brave New World there would be no maintenance at all.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I totally agree because ultimately what they oppose is the idea of the death of human creativity. Yeah, as if one that is a possible thing, which frankly I find absurd. (laughs) I I, I don't feel like I need to argue that too much (laughs) because it's like, well, we're human beings, we are. Creative individuals, we create, we invent, we want different, and to posit that no, oh, no, people chose this to die, and yeah. this was natural. Like, yeah I, I find that it uh, We were saying earlier, like for
1: me, it's like a mirrored comparison. The early human being, the early man, say, invented art in the caves, and for me, it's a mirror theory because if the human could create from nothing he had necessity to live only but he in the end needed to create to feel i don't know more alive i don't know <laughs> but for me that that's the basic idea that the human being can't be just an animal and to think that the natural progression of things will end in the end of creativity that is just it's just bollocks for me <laughs> <laughs>
0: completely agree like these and that's one of the things that i wrote down when comparing the three is that in a way and because of these ideas that oh people will stop reading books or in brave new world sexual promiscuity will be a source of uh, control and it's equated in the book as sexual freedom although not es- explicitly it's quite clear that they mean the same thing that Yeah. this promiscuity is this freedom and that it's very complicated and i don't have the expertise to question it and critique it that much it's worth mentioning that we're still in the 30s yeah but yeah it's there's obviously problems there and i think there are problems there because those are clearly different things and this latter one is not necessarily a problem either but they are weaponized in a sense but these are built upon logical conclusions of what are conservative fears that yeah. sexual promiscuity will lead people to give everything else up as if there is nothing else. Yeah. And especially as if there are no asexual people. There is an example in the book of people of a kid that isn't that into it and he's being forced to it. Yeah. So, you know, things there. <laughs> in Fahrenheit 451, as if people's attraction and surrender to mass culture will lead to the abolition and destruction of books. And something that comes up in Fahrenheit and Brave New World, that the lack of challenge and difficulty and too much pleasure make human beings indolent and that they become useless, meaningless, and all that. Which I also very much disagree with because we read that under a logic of capitalist work and what that means. So... You no, know, I think I think that is very questionable yeah. as a, a way of interpreting and understanding human beings, taken under this logic of work of labor, and I don't think this explains much. I don't think this contributes much to thinking about human beings, to creating, to to interpreting, to writing in a sense. So that is something that really bothered me about them. So uh, I think it's time we talk about the savages, Yeah. which, well, obviously it's a horrendous word and concept in all senses of the word, although there's something that really bugs me about them. I'll get to it. You want to start? Yeah, as I said it earlier,
1: the word savage is really infuriating. Taking a look at our history in Brazil, we are basically all savages, (laughs) and we were savages and we still are. And this nation here in Brazil is, like, one of the countries with the greatest, I don't know, the number of people that, like, came from Europe, Immigration. Africa, everywhere in the world. Yeah, it's a
0: very diverse and varied country. There are people from everywhere. Both the native population, the remaining native population, and those that were those that immigrated, those that, those that were forcibly brought in as slaves.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if Huxley thought of this. But for me, it's really... I can't stop thinking about how the people that live in the utopia of Brave New World are actually more alike as the savages that the European pattern, the European standard. Like, if you think about, like, the colonialist way they would say that savages like i don't know uh, brazilian brazilian indigenous people walk around naked and they worship different gods use other types of drugs for rituals and there's totally different approach to sex as compared with other races and societies and for me it's really interesting because the people who live in brave new world they are really close to what the colonialist standard of savages because they only think about soma
0: mm-hmm.
1: and sex yeah so they are oh basically God, they are basically the savages that they hate and disgust and mm-hmm. it's, I, I don't know if, if Huxley thought about that because the choice of words of his proves a bit that he also thought that savages were <laughs> that the indigenous people are different people were savages. But for me, it's really interesting thinking about that. Tradition is always tradition. And a tradition like the European one has questionable things and things that are really ridiculous, like using a tie. Like, (laughs) what's the point of using a tie? Is is this as random as being naked and not using clothes or using war paint? Traditions don't have any sense at all. So I think that... uh, I think you should... Talk about a bit of the the savages.
0: okay. So, in quotations. Uh, yeah, always. For the love of God. <laughs> always. Something to me that I find very interesting, and it's, it's fun because we look at different perspectives. I look from it from a very historical sense, because in the book they're mentioned to be there for, which is probably the idea of the time of the utopia, that they've been there for thousands of years. Yeah. As, along with the utopia. It's very capitalistic in that sense of absorbing and containing and neutralizing your opponent or your or the other yeah in a a large sense so much like in the ending bernard and his other friend who are slightly different than the rest are exiled to one of the various places where the exiled which are the different individual people actually live really Uh,
1: really cold war-ish Yeah. If you you might say,
0: yeah. Yeah, they're they're the contained ones. They're the more rebellious, the more different ones. But they're not a a force of insurrection or opposition. They are, in that sense, absorbed and put in these various places. And, like, they agree where to go. They choose which of these places they can go. And they go, but they are neutralized. Yeah. In that sense, the quote-unquote savages are of the same nature. But... Something to think about in that sense. If they are living in that way, in that place, for that long of a time, mostly separate from the utopia in these reservation kind scenarios, then they they must, in one way or another, be sustainable. They need to have. Which is. That's why, in a sense, it's a very colonialist perspective of Huxley. That these communities are savages, that they're not sustainable, that they're violent for no reason that they perform these sacrifices out of insanity, in a sense. Yeah. And so, for example, the savages have mounts of trash everywhere. And it's like, that, that, that's not a thing. Yeah. It's a colonial perspective. And even, perspective yeah, and even
1: if it was a thing, like, we have, how can I say that? Um aterro sanitario.
0: Yeah, we... <laughs> they said, hey, the, the word escapes me, but we have these... It's not the trash dumps, but... Yeah, we ba-
1: basically, in a in a capitalist way, we polluted
0: all our of Earth, and that's our amounts of trash. <laughs> yeah, like but when you read certain statements in anthropology and certain historical works, you realize cities produce a lot more trash in a, without knowing where it'll go than any indigenous community yeah. ever could and ever will. Yeah, because like they have a, a relation with the environment, Yeah. and it's not of opposition and it's not necessarily, but it varies. It's more understandable relation, perhaps. Yeah. But this painting of this is ignorant roots without hygiene or care for the trash or health. It's senseless because a population like this does not survive. Yeah, They find different ways, but when you paint them, it's like, oh no, they're, they're violent, they make these sacrifices, they have piles of trash, it's dirty, there's no hygiene. Yeah. That's, that's stupid. Yeah. This side of thing does not exist because this does not survive. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's and the only way you can see that as a way i feel that's why i say he's a colon. it's a colonialist perspective yeah he looks at it from this sense as oh this uh, he doesn't give a damn about like oh they have to be sustainable or thing no th- these are savages yeah. they're not indigenous people they are made to be indigenous people yeah. but they are ultimately savages yeah and that's why i find it absurd, because th- the savage figure does not really exist Like, an indigenous group can be more or less violent and that doesn't make them any more or any less of a fucking savage. Yeah. You know, they they exist. They're people. Yeah, Yeah, I think think the the word savage is, like,
1: as bad as, like, calling indigenous people, like, aliens. Yeah. Because you're basically saying that they... But alien... Alien could be a better choice of word than savage. Pretty much. Because alien has the premise of you saying that it's a person from otherworldly person and they have a it's different society.
0: Other. Yeah, it's the other, but it's the when you say savage You imply a certain behavior. Exactly. And you imply this violence, this yeah. savagery. There's no uh Well the there is this alienness, but it's not a real concept. But savageness Selvig, I, I think I think the is difference is, like, thing.
1: alien is the other, and savage is the opposite. Mm, that's La- a good like, point. Uh, that's the opposite of what the society that is talking about the savage likes, mm-hmm. basically.
0: Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, okay. yeah, they're both bad, just to make it clear, to make it as clear as possible. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very bad depiction. And a very bad representation of an indigenous community living outside of the utopia. Yeah. Which, in a way, they're not, but they're made to be. Like, uh, because, yeah, they have these traditions, they have these beliefs, which are, which are very interesting in a sense. It's a syncretic religion. But the simple fact that they're not sustainable and that they lack these uh, human qualities. Like, yeah. It is human to have a certain amount of hygiene because, like the rivers, rivers like those were a thing; those mm-hmm. are all a thing. So and yeah. instead, like it's, it's worth reiterating, we're two white men talking about savages and indigenous <laughs> people. So yeah, what always worth mentioning, but uh, like uh, this this needs to be talked about. Like yeah. clearly, this is horrendous. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I think something that is always important talking about, especially in all three of them, but in this one it's of different way, talking about order.
1: Order, yeah.
0: Wanna go I think ahead. You can begin. Okay. So, order or with a capital O, although not necessarily, I like to put it with a capital O because I think it looks nice, um, <laughs> is, is this idea that in order to have a positive society and to have happiness, you need stability. Yeah. In other words, order. But, like, order for whom and in what structure in that sense that's why order is always a conservative uh, defense it's always an argument for uh, any sort of conservative point of view you must have order but like what does this order entail for whom and a a better thing yet to consider is when has the other side wanted chaos (laughs) it's like (laughs) <laughs> a, a communist an anarchist does not want chaos yeah they want a different type of order yeah but for them it's not all about stability because this present stability is more harmful than anything else exactly and although this isn't uh, that, that's um,
1: the sorry a little parenthesis no that's the basic premise that capitalism is a failed failed kind of system that we haven't given up Uh, yeah basically like i i was reading about olodomor which was the people in ukraine that starved to death and i think that was like five or six million people who died Mm -hmm. of starvation because of actions of the soviet union and you think oh my god that's that's Uh, actually terrible and then and it's really funny because the capitalists uh, and the conservatives of of today always uh, use this as humor like ah, communists always die of starvation Mm -hmm. and such things but in the capitalist system which we live in today 15 million people die each year of starvation as well so we have the absence of one we have two holodomers each year (laughs) in our capitalist style of living so really again the the idea that the other is so otherworldly and so strange and they don't have organization but we basically live in a world where, where we don't have any organization as well we have always the conflicts between private and public beliefs and and ideas and money is always ruling everything and that's basically the parenthesis that I want to Yeah, make. no,
0: that, that's a great point. And uh, just to add to that, so we don't alienate completely our Marxist Leninist audience, <laughs> because it's something that I've been learning about and trying to understand. Is that it seems quite likely that although there were periods of famine and in Ukraine all that, it seems to me I I won't I haven't done the research though I've seen credible people do that research and I've spoken to some of them or I've listened to them rather that it's the idea because there's the, an idea with I don't want to go too much on this that Holodomor was a genocide and said there was necessarily an objective an idea to do yeah. that and that seems to be there seems to be a lot of propaganda and a lot of the pictures involved that are usually used to depict what happened are from other periods in other yeah. places and even um, from
1: nazi periods exactly yeah
0: so just a quotation that even if even if uh, regardless of what exactly happened which i I, I admit my complete uh, ignorance of it, or very great ignorance, that's why I won't go too off on it, I'm just yeah. presenting a, another perspective in a sense. Regardless of what actually happened, even if we consider that as entirely true, without a shadow of a doubt, it still pales in comparison to what the reality we have under capitalism. Yeah. So there, that's a great point. And yeah, like, order. Like, you always hear from donald trump you'll hear it from bolsonaro you'll hear it from yeah. any type of conservative yeah uh, wherever they are that order is the high praise of high praise this idea of stability yeah but like what sort of stability is this where so many people die each year simply from hunger but yeah. there was more than enough food for everyone yeah there
1: that's my getting, rant about we're, order we're getting a bit
0: angry <laughs> yeah that's my rant about order I'm, I'm always order always angers me as a defense yeah. especially when you consider that well the other side doesn't want chaos either yeah they simply question your idea of stability and order yeah so and it's always used as an argument so it always pisses me off so yeah thank you for bearing with me if you did <laughs> okay so i think do you have anything else you want to mention i think we Touch a lot on the major points we did, uh, maybe not, but I think it's been a fun and interesting discussion.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think we have any more. I already said, I think the major thing in Brave New World is this idea of how things are masked as other. Like, for me, the example of Soma is the greatest one because. Drugs in our history, the even European history and African history, we always had individual experiences. Like, drugs are always individual. You can share drugs, you can drink with friends, you can use type of drugs with, with a group of people. But in the end, the experience is always subjective. And I think that it's really funny how the thing that makes in brave new world the thing that basically maintains people quiet (laughs) and not insurgent is drugs yeah and drugs are sold as sold in a marketing way i I, i'm saying are sold as a thing of collectiveness and of anti-insurgency but in the end Soma is just a dose of individuality. And mm-hmm. people always need individuality because it's impossible to live without it. And I think it's really, really interesting because it's the thing that I was talking about channeling the human, the basic human feelings and, and, esqueci de novo, vontades. Wills. Yeah, wills. And you're basically channeling things that people will always feel and putting with other names, like people want to have sex, and you have orgies that symbolize the community of sex, but this experience of sex is always subjective as well, even for the sexuality of each person, the likings, even the fetishes of each one. So for me, it's really intriguing how the book takes these two things that are really dear to society and in humanity that it's sex and drugs and that are essentially things that are individual or reclusive experience and transform it in a community experience to enslave the the ideology of the people who live in in this in this world the world of the the book obviously
0: yeah, that's, it's interesting because one of the large <laughs> points always mentioned when talking about the book is the drugs, yeah. which is Soma, or the drug, perhaps. Yeah. but we barely mentioned it because, I guess in a sense, drugs are, I mean, in this sense especially, are a form of escapism. Yeah, And when you escape, I think it's when, question, when thinking about escapism, you think, well, the person's escaping. Why and from what? Yeah, exactly. uh, And I think that's what we were trying to do. We were trying to look, what, why were the people escaping, in a sense, or why would the people have reasons to escape? Yeah. Because of how this utopia is, which isn't, it's not. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and basically we
1: can make a parallel with... It, it's really even... It looks dumb when you look at the majority of the world and you have alcohol and tobacco as legalized drugs. Mm-hmm. and it's the same thing as, as soma like you have certain things that the government says that you can use and like here in brazil for example you marijuana or any psychedelics are illegal but you can go to your nearest grocery store and buy a bottle of pinga for like less than two dollars and you can die mm-hmm. of alcohol poisoning yeah, so yeah. <laughs> it's really uh, it, it, I I don't know how we came to this like I don't know how we landed on this perspective that it is normal to have alcohol and cigarettes uh, re- regulated by the government
0: regulated I guess
1: regulated yeah sorry and it's just it, it's that moment when you when you read about dystopias and you, think, and you actually conclude that you are not that far away from what actually happens in this unquote fictional world.
0: Exactly. Like, ultimately, <laughs> although we have many criticisms, when we look at a dystopia, we... Well, that, and that's the idea, in a sense, that we look to our world and we... Well, since our world has problems, we see some of those same problems here. Yeah. And that also brings us new ways to thinking about them and ultimately dealing with them. Yeah, I think that's a great point to talk about. Oh, just something before we go, I think, is we need to address the matter of a bit longer about sexual promiscuity. Yeah, because you mentioned it briefly, but I, I just felt it. <clears throat> I think it's important to elaborate a bit more because yeah. here's the thing: the way it's done in the book is this. So this, I say, it's very conservative because you very, you have this image of like kids having erotic experiences and although it's not explicit what they're actually doing it's implied and it's very made clear that oh they're having this sexualization when they're young and that is very much a conservative defense point yeah and that's why i say in this book sexual promiscuity is sexual freedom there's no distinction between them yeah and that brings many problems because you have this idea that, oh, because, while well, in the society, sex is good, and sex is something, and it's, as Bruno said, it's a tool, it's something that is utilized in order to keep people content, in yeah. a sense. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the key word. When it's, as a literary work, when we look at it, we are so, I think the idea, I believe, at least from my interpretation, is that we're supposed to look at this and be horrified. Yeah. That we look at this and say, oh, my God. Yeah. When it's like, like some of it is bad and some of it is exaggerated, but that doesn't yeah. make what is actually happening, these isolated acts of sexuality and freedom, yeah. as necessary objectively and completely bad or horrendous. And that is something that is, comes from Huxley's perspective.
1: Yeah, I, I was saying earlier to Frank that basically if Huxley saw the hippie movement and like Woodstock, he would say, yeah, I was right. Because Absolutely. there are only people talking about sexual freedom and and using drugs and rock and roll. But it's the, I think the hippie movement and Woodstock, Jimi Hendrix, Santana, uh, all of these people, they just prove the point that conservative people Always judge things that they actually want.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's why it was a counterculture. And I have a really good indication right now, or recommendation, if you will. There's on Netflix this show, Comedians of the World. The first one of the USA is very... The other ones vary. At least I've seen one other one that I didn't like. I don't remember his name. And I don't remember the first guy's name. But the first guy has a very good joke. And I recommend everyone to try and go out and find it and see it. But basically, conservatives, and in the case Republicans, don't like drugs because no one has ever taken a drug and become more conservative (laughs) or become more Republican. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, uh, the idea is funny and it's... incredible but just his telling of the of the joke it's a stand-up show is great and i recommend everyone to go out and see it but bruno is absolutely on point like drug are drugs bad like that is a question to be made and it's not an easy yes, yes i
1: think i think conservatives wanted so much to use at least a bit of drugs that they actually made alcohol legal that's the point like <laughs> you can see those old conservatives drinking their whiskey and talking a lot of bullshit while there are people who you who use marijuana. Like, i don't know which is really it's not as bad for your body as conservatives and and that's really it like i think that the consumption of drugs by conservative people it's first first i think conservative people shouldn't use drugs because they don't deserve it (laughs) and and actually like it's the is as you said no one has ever like used drugs and become more conservative (laughs) like i don't know that's it's just so so funny to see how the the human uh, nature brings us closer to being more permissive and being more lighthearted about things mm-hmm. but conservatives like to i don't know enslave themselves like <laughs> yeah, <very much>. yeah, <laughs> uh, they, they like so idea. much slavery that they also enslave themselves exactly <laughs> that, that,
0: that that's the point and that's why I, I will make a point of doing this all the time but it's one of the reasons why and i mentioned that i'm a catholic and it's one of the things that i find that make a lot of sense it's like it's I am also a communist, and those things aren't as much in conflict as one might think because it only makes sense to me that in order to well to liberate people to liberate all people involves and to give this true freedom and this true reality, this true positivity, it involves this expropriation from the rich, from the wealthy, from the powerful, yeah, yeah. and that that means freeing them from their own enslavement by those things, yeah. Like the god money is an enslavement on itself. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I think yeah, I think that's a good point to end on. Yeah, exactly. uh, you might. Do you have anything else you want to? No, add?
1: I think we should end it exactly oh. here.
0: Okay. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed our first yeah. episode of the Left Page. Thanks for um, listening. Fun fact: the Left Page in the first books in the. Because books had a different form uh, back then in the ancient world. Yeah. There was the scroll, the ah, the volumen. And when books changed form to become the codex, which is the normal form we use books now in the pages and system, yeah. since most books didn't have, especially medieval books, didn't have bindings and covers, in order to preserve the text, the actual work didn't begin in the first page, which was the first right page. It became yeah. on the left page, yeah. the first left page. Yeah. so. Yeah, fun book fact for you for yeah. this special first episode. So um, yeah, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. You can find us on Patreon at the Left Page. We're also on Twitter yeah. at Left Page Pod, and I myself am personally there too at at KGB Frank. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear me talking about. Brazilian politics, religion, communism, and just being mad at times. Yeah. (laughs) uh, I'm there too. So, yeah, thank you very much for listening, and we will talk to you soon about more books and whatnot. Yeah. Until the next one. Hello, darkness, my old friend.
1: I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping.
0: the halo of a street lamp I turned my collar to
1: the cold and damp When my eyes were stabbed By the flash of a neon light It split the night And touched the sound of silence And in the naked light I saw 10,000 people, maybe more
0: Nothing made, and the the sign flashed out its warning, in the words that it was forming,
1: and the sign said the words of the prophets are written on the subway walls,
0: tenement halls, and whispers.